Since childhood, I have had a complex about aggression. I never had enough nerve to punch someone that was horrible to me. Sisyphean samurai souls, steel-faced scientists, secret agents, and suppressed Soviet spacemen, all in this 20th Midnight video, with your hosts, me, Jim Hall, and me, Phil Walsh. Tonight, Takashi Miike tells us of a restless warrior doomed to wander eternity, slicing and dicing through the ages in 2005's Izo. FBI man Elliot Gould wonders if he should have kept the receipt when a US boffin returning from behind the Iron Curtain shows up with a flashy new metal head in 1973's Who? And from 1977, the Polish science fiction epic that never was, a multi-generational saga of war, messiahs, prophecy and kabuki makeup on a distant world as we check out what remains of On the Silver Globe. Show 20, we're back, back, back. Kaboom. Yeah, sounds like a while. Hmm. Seems like a while, certainly, since we've done this. Yeah, back to the uh, the old format. I'm, I'm, I've been pining for it in really? some ways. Yeah. Too much Fright Fest, soundtracks and David Lynch commentaries for you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so we've got a little bit of news which we'll tell you about later. But um, for now, let's get moving. <laughs> So, you're going to make a spiritual epic based on the life of a genuine 19th century samurai. Why not start things off with a diagram of sperm production and footage from World War II? Prolific and eclectic Japanese director Takeshi Miike takes a few unexpected artistic decisions in his 2005 movie Iza, with Kazuya Nakayama as the uncompromising swordsman who embarks on a circular journey through time and the afterlife. Um, I don't believe I've ever seen a Takeshi Miike film before this. Wow, not one. Not that I can think of, no. Is there any I should have? Well, you know, obviously the, you're, you're going to say there's lots I should have, but you know, <laughs> ones that are especially. Each of the killers probably his most infamous stroke, famous one. Nah. Audition. Oh no, I have seen that. Ah, yeah, well, that's I probably his most famous. Actually, come to think of it. Yeah, but um, yeah, just looking around with this, I didn't realize quite how eclectic he was. I thought he was known as an action and gore kind of director, but he's done an awful lot of other stuff, hasn't he? Yeah, no, he's spread it. I was going to say he spread himself thinly, but it's it's not so much that he spread himself thinly. He just um, has no fear of taking on a project. That um, certainly seems like that. And uh, this this was a film you were familiar with already when mm. you chose it. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd seen it before. And can I ask why you... Did you choose it to irk me? Well, after Jonathan Livingston Seagull. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, because I felt there was a bit of a similarity between them. But, um, what? no, you, you chose this before, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, well, Richie Sampson, who we know from uh, Facebook and Frightfest, he was lamenting our lack of Asian choices, basically. And I wanted... To, he he specifically said Miike, and I wanted to do one that was a little less known. Maybe something that's more suitable for our kind of show, as it were. 
Um, I did think of doing the bow people in China, but I didn't think that would be challenging enough. So. Not Zebra Man. No, I, I love Zebra Man. I think it's great. This is his Zebra um, Man Two, actually. No. This is his superhero kind of take, isn't it? Yeah, but and it's like it's a meta sort of. Oh. Is he a superhero? Isn't he? Or is he just recreated? All oh, right, it's not quite aimed at the Spy Kids audience then. No, but it is actually a family-oriented film. Okay, um, so you'd seen this how many times before? Uh, two and a half. Two and a half, right. Um, the first time I ever saw it, I was inebriated. I thought it was way too difficult to uh, to comprehend in that state. So I ended up watching it again to try and grasp it. And I'm, I'm really glad I've watched it a third time because I probably need to watch it a fourth time, to be honest. Wow, so after that first time, you were sure it did actually add up to something rather than just being a lot of stuff happening yeah well yeah I mean this is it because like I say I've not seen much of the uh, Takeshi Miike stuff and I was just wondering if you knew stuff from his previous films that you know it's difficult to get to the nub of what he's you know what what he's actually trying to say or convey um, well, or, wh- that or whether it's more just a thing with imagery and um, whether his filmmaking is more about that kind of thing I think there's a bit of all of that there to be honest there's uh, he certainly loves his ambiguity. Um, for me, this is very much a visual spectacle. Yeah, um, it's it's all about Izo. I mean, it's a central character. It's called, it's named after him. The character was written for that actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very specific to this person's um, journey. And Izo was a genuine nineteenth-century samurai. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia wouldn't lie to me about these kind of things. <laughs> someone, someone might. I did a little, uh, little bit of research. Yeah, but um, yeah, the the movie basically follows his journey, but it is um, quite a baffling film, isn't it? Because it's oh, yeah. it's told in a very peculiar way, and also it it plays around with time quite a lot, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, it begins with uh, Izu being, I was going to say, crucified and um, impaled at some length. <laughs> <laughs> um, which you know kick things off to quite a, a, an exciting start. Um, but then I was thinking of Kill Bill quite a lot during this. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure if Tarantino is a fan, but it, he it, is a fan of Mike. Hmm. But just in terms of the, the way um, samurai fights were depicted in this, because like, I'm not I'm not overly familiar with a lot of Asian cinema, so mm. I'll probably only know the westernized version of it. Um, but yeah, it certainly doesn't skimp on swordplay, does it? No, but I, I mean the, the whole character is a, a, a samurai. <laughs> he is, but the, um, an initial criticism I've had of this is there didn't seem to be much else beside that. I was thinking there'd be occasional bursts of that kind of stuff, but with an awful lot of build-up and you'd be introduced to various uh, characters or obstacles he had to um, overcome. But it seems more like um, he'll come across people who'll probably not cause him any kind of trouble, but he'll just lay into them immediately. Uh, I'm not sure if there's something there I wasn't grasping, but it seemed like just a procession of... I don't want to belittle it and say it was like a, a, a video game or something, but it did seem like he was just coming up against people and dispatching them rather than giving us a reason why we should care about that conflict. But I think the reason is because his benefactor, yeah, his, his, his master, yeah. yeah, he said, your calling in life is to kill. That's That's what you have to do. So... Because I think it's, he's meant to have come from like quite a low, low class background, and managed to become a samurai, which is like a noble calling, and he's been ab- abused and role, exploited. Exploited. Right. That's the word. Oh God, exploitation, of course. Then throughout the film, you sort of 
well, what I gleaned from it was that he's... This is after three viewings. Yeah. <laughs> he can't get into heaven or hell. He's yeah. just trapped in purgatory, basically. There was a flying Dutchman kind of element. Yeah. yeah. And his way of dealing with it is just killing everyone. It's, it's, it's like a sort of nihilistic out- outlook, I suppose. Um, and then, without wanting to give the end away, there's an obvious thing that happens, mm-hmm. um, which just... It certainly doesn't buoy the spirits, I don't think, because I think I thought this was wrapped up with a lot of Buddhism and this idea of totally. reincarnation, and you keep coming back and having to advance yourself to get off the whole the yeah. circle of life, the kind of wheel of wheel of time or whatever it's called. Yeah, I get mixed up right. with that bloody awful sci-fi. No, it is the wheel of wheel time. Of, yeah. Wheel of time. It's written in, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Talks yeah. About it. Um, but yeah, this. Uh, the thing for me is you've watched this three times and still find it a little incomprehensible. And it's not just that there are peculiar images and things happening, it's actually the ground, the groundwork of what's meant to be happening. Because mm. like I say, it was unsatisfying for me because it just seemed like a bunch of elegant deaths which didn't mean anything to me after a while and actually got quite dull and didn't... Um, it didn't endear me to him as a character. Because, yeah, people would come up and try and explain things to him and they'd just be spliced in half or, um, yeah, you'd just get that whole hose spray of blood thing going on. <laughs> but, yeah, I, th- I think that definitely was the point of it, was he was, yeah, a flying Dutchman or a Sisyphus character who's just got this eternal kind of... Mm. He's, he's stuck in the material world. Because that's another thing. He'll kill people, but then he'll get killed himself and then he'll be back again. Or yeah. he'll not even drop dead. <laughs> I just think... You just think, well, what's the point to all this then? Mm. And uh, I've got to say, I was um, before sitting down to watch it. I did just check the running time, and I got confused. I thought it was 182 minutes rather than 128, <laughs> and I thought, oh my god! And so, as I was going through this, I thought, man, because like I say, it seems very repetitive, and there's little to really engage me about it. I just thought, man, is it just going to be three hours of this? <laughs> and it did seem to be getting increasingly desperate as it flipped from kind of presumably feudal Japan to modern day Japan and you know there were odd scenes where he'd rather than being confronted by other samurai he'd be confronted by lawyers yeah there's anachronisms isn't there running throughout yeah, it very deliberate well. ones yeah. and like we mentioned it begins with this diagram of uh, it's like an old uh, high school hygiene film of sperm production an awful lot of stuff about the um, Japanese involvement in the second world war I'm not quite sure to what avail whether it's just something about eternal violence or yeah I think that it's quite an obvious metaphor for um, obviously how the writer who is more famous I can't remember his name he's more famous for writing um, Yakuza films so he's obviously no stranger to writing about violence and stuff and yeah it probably stems from that and you know the the, um, you mentioned that conception diagrams and the World War 2 footage and they just seem to me just very obvious metaphors for like the state of the nation. Too um, obvious. Yeah, in a way, the first time it's sort of it's juxtapositions and it's it, and it seems like there um, there's a message trying to be put across there. But yeah, as it progresses, it's it becomes lost, I suppose, in the in the overall um, aim of the film, <laughs> if there is an aim. But I think I think it's very heartfelt, though. I think there is. For the writer to do something like this, and I saw an interview with Mike who was very surprised. I think everyone involved were very nervous about how it was going to be received by um, an audience. Rightly so. I mean, it's it's challenging, but mm. I don't know. Did we? Was it a letdown or? Um, I wasn't sure what I was expecting. I think I was hoping for quite a. If it's like conventional, that sounds like the wrong word, but some I wanted a genuine samurai. Oh, like Zatoichi or something. Possibly, I've not seen that. Oh, but, right. Um, okay. 
but um, I don't know, it's probably quite telling that I did look up the running time before watching this and got it wrong, but I didn't realise it was made as recently as 2005, so um, it was really it was quite pleasant when there was a, there's a scene early on which is obviously could only really be done with digital effects which involves his mother mm. um, and to watch that and think wow and it was because we spend quite a lot of time on this show kind of uh, poking fun at, um, at CGI effects but I think they were used brilliantly throughout this um, the, I don't want to sound I've got too, too much of a downer on this because there were things I really loved about it it did have great images in it uh, great photography and that was, again, it's kind of why I felt a bit disappointed this wasn't a more conventional, or what I imagine a conventional samurai or martial arts film might be like, which wasn't just a load of, is it called heroic bloodshed? I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure that whole genre, or chop sake. But to have an awful lot of reflection, and there are beautiful moments when he um, just wanders off into a lake, and um, there's, a, there's a beautiful scene, I don't want to spoil at the end, which again involves CGI, but with butterflies, you know, the mm. thing I'm talking about. Yeah. And yeah, the, the 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 digital effects in here were used to really good effect, and I I would have loved to have seen more of that rather than this is it. I thought the World War Two footage was too obvious, the way it was just thrown in, but also those things like the lawyers who then turn out to be vampires, and this seemed very obvious. Yeah, you know, yeah. It it wasn't like um, <laughs> I'm not sure if Mike was meant to be sort of well, this is really going to sort of uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons, but it was like <laughs> oh that that thing again. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> It was kind of thing Derek Jarman would do when he didn't have the budget to actually have the costumes and sure, you yeah. know. I partially agree with some of that, but aside from well, the obvious sort of metaphor allegories, um, there were some really wonderful absurdisms. I thought, particularly the Tom Waits. Um, oh, I forgot about throughout. him. Yes, there's this bloody awful minstrel who keeps <laughs> cropping up every so often, who then has a bigger role um, towards the end, I suppose. But his. I know what you mean by Tom Waits. He doesn't actually sound like him, but he has a very kind of throaty voice, doesn't very he? And gravelly, plays this yeah. deliberately horrible acoustic um, guitar. And yeah, just breaks up things. But he's not really commenting on anything, really, no, is it? Because no. it's just, again, awful. I'm not sure if they're poorly translated, the lyrics, because I don't know what the... Did, I watched your DVD of mm. it, which defaults to a dubbed, an English-language dubbed version. Ah, uh, right, no, I've I You chose it with the subtitles. One. Yeah, with the subtitles, right. yeah. Um, and again, I, I quite liked having it dubbed, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it took <laughs> me back to my youth and uh, <laughs> Bruce Lee films and Monkey and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, The Minstrel would always be subtitled. Um, but, oh man, yeah, he was usually my uh, signal to go and put the kettle on. <laughs> without pausing, I must say. So. Yeah. But yeah, after you've seen him a few times with his lyrics, which don't mean anything, they're just like very bad um, some sixth form poetry. Yeah, I think lost in translation, I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> what, you should, Bill Murray should have been the uh, the minstrel. Well, they had that um, huge wrestler in didn't they, The Black Chap. Yeah, was he someone famous? I sort of recognised him. Uh, this was his debut movie. He, right. He'd never been in a film before. Because that was one of my favourite bits when... Uh, it's very manga. I mean, the whole there's a lot of manga sort of aesthetic to it. As, uh, uh, when I say manga, I mean like the comic book style yeah. or the uh, anime. Yeah, definitely the bloodletting, the idea of a wandering samurai, the having these people he's got to defeat. But then, it, yeah, it goes against it with because he's just defeating everyone regardless. Yeah, and then getting defeated and then coming back anyway. So um, it's amazing he doesn't just try to do like Harry Kiri all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's a deleted scene. <laughs> if, if George Lucas would CGI that in for some Blu-ray uh, release of it later on. <laughs> 
Okay. Um. So yeah, that's my. Well, I have seen audition then. So it turns out I have seen another Mika well, film. I've, I've uh, got plenty I can lend. Okay. You. Well, uh, any you particularly recommend? Uh, Bird People in China is fantastic. Uh, Gozu, another excellent one. Um, yeah, he's he's prolific. He started making films. I think his first one was 1990 or 91, and he's done 70 films since. Yeah, although I think he's been involved in the industry sometimes. Oh, yeah, he that. has, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Japanese film yeah. industry is very, um, yeah. well, you can imagine. Yes. <laughs> Go back or your soul will be broken into pieces and ruined. So, back to the, uh, back to the old that? style, back to the old show, and back to the A to Z of Midnight. No, a to Z of movies through midnight video. That's the one. Which, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten which letter we got up to. So I'm um, looking at this, which um, to let you in on a little secret. Yeah, we've we've printed off um, some great feedback from you guys, but just before we started recording, we had to guillotine them all and sellotape them onto a big sheet of A3, so we got them in the right order. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being back at primary school. That's how high tech we are. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Thanks a lot for all your feedback and uh, keep it coming in. We've got some good stuff here. B from Nick Sauer. I hope you've, I've pronounced your name right. Sauer or Sawyer. But um, hi, Nick. We've had some good feedback from you on the wall. Uh, welcome aboard. Just thought of another B. That would be Ben Barinholtz, who was responsible for starting the Midnight Movie Venue in America and went on to support a number of independent film directors like John Waters, George Romero, and David Lynch. Um, a bit of a coincidence that because I was watching this morning. Do you remember that David Lynch, Jonathan Ross thing I showed you a few weeks mm. back? There were a series of them he did one night only, and someone's posted up the other ones, and one of them was um, Yodorowsky. Oh wow! So it's quite a bit on El Topo, but um, excellent. Yeah, it was kind of weird watching because I remember watching that when it came out, and watching it now, there's a fair bit on El Topo. Hard Tusk, just a few stills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holy Mountain, which one of the guys they interviewed calls Magic Mountain throughout. <laughs> I think he actually <laughs> that, worked on it. I think that would have been a better film. <laughs> <laughs> better title, sorry, not a better film. Yeah, they spent about a minute on that, but because it came out in 1990, it's pretty much a big promo piece for Santa Sangre and Rainbow Thief. Right. But yeah, obviously, yeah, thanks thanks for that, Nick. Um, because, El, yeah, El Topo, Eraserhead were the sort of big midnight movies Pink with Flamingos. Pink Flamingos, uh, or oh, Rocky Horror. Uh, less said the better. <laughs> uh, what was it? Night of the Living Dead, I think it was. Yes. The, yeah. And for D, we've just got a solitary D uh, from Richard Street. D for don't, as in don't go in the house, don't look in the basement, don't go in the woods, don't look now, don't be afraid of the dark, don't answer the phone, don't go near the park, don't open till Christmas. <laughs> just don't. Don't be afraid of the dark, of course, your favourite oh, of the didn't, don'ts. Um, <laughs> didn't Peg and Wright do one of the... F- yeah, it was called Don't. Yeah, that which was quite was the, a good one. I think that was my favourite. Yeah, that yeah, no, was very good. Um, yeah, fake trailers on um, what's it called? Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, uh, F. Marie Hepworth was going to go for Fulci, but since he's been covered, I will mention Footprints because I love its strange atmosphere and cinematography, and F. For Florinda Balkan's performance. Also, for those who love murder mysteries involving cults and medical experiments, but also like a good animated cat film, F is for Philidae. I've pronounced that right. Um, footprints, yeah. Um, I think Marie mentioned this quite a while back as something we should cover, and I think we should. Um, the I've reason, watched it. Yeah, well, don't tell me what you think of it, because I okay. no, yeah, um, yeah, I think we might cover it. But okay. um, isn't it a giallo on the moon or with moon dreams? Yeah, Someone's dreaming yeah. it. That's, but the, that's the gist. Kinski? Yeah. 
But the reason I came across this recently, when we did ZPG, I think I was quite convinced that it seemed like there were no uh, upbeat science fiction films. They're all dystopian films between about Barbarella and either Star Wars and Close Encounters, whichever came out first. That both came out in 77. And yeah, that, they did all seem to be <laughs> utterly miserable. And this, this was one that cropped up, even though I'm not sure it is... I watched Phase Four the other day, so yeah, that's that a barrel of laughs, bill. isn't it? You know, ants take over the world after a—is it an eclipse or a solar flare or something? Phase One. Phase One. <laughs> I was saying to you, I'm not sure we may cover Phase Four at some point, but I was saying to you, I remember seeing it a long time ago, and um, it has that—it makes that real error of calling itself Phase Four, but then having caption cards going Phase One. And if you're getting at all bored, you think, oh my lord, I know exactly how far I've got to get through this. <laughs> Nigel Davenport and some stunt ants causing uh, industrial sabotage in his complex. But uh, I should give that a more to it look. than that. I'm sure there is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, our good friend. Oh, in, well, in fact, if anyone does know of any upbeat science fiction films made between Barbarella and Close Encounters, other than, I think, there were some Disney ones like the computer wore tennis shoes, but yeah, that doesn't count. Um, yeah, right in with that, actually. I'd be intrigued to know as well. Yeah, so. It did seem like there was just a massive downer <laughs> on it, the future. Well, it's post Vietnam, isn't it? Yeah, Everyone's having a big uh, come down after what, Yeah, Barbarella. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, Hanoi Jane comes in. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing the Fs, uh, Richie Sampson, F equals forbidden. Not the planet on this occasion, but just our wonderful censorship system. I'm dead against any group of people having the power to oh, say what dead. adults can and can't watch. But if it wasn't for them, I don't think I would have become quite so obsessed with horror movies and video nasties. I remember sending away for lists of bootleg tapes to the dodgy little adverts in the back of Dark Side magazine and getting two-for-ones on classics like Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox. The concept works today. I wonder how many Midnight Video listeners added Human Centipede 2 to their to-buy list the minute it was refused to certificate. <laughs> you know, bang on the money there. I mean, I was... Um, yeah, it was only a year ago, Serbian film was... Um, is it Serbian film or Serbian movie film, film, I think? It was like, oh, it can't be seen. And so instantly you want to watch it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's um, It builds up the hype, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, it, does, it it's yeah. that thing of... Um, it builds up your expectation of what you're going to see. And in the end, it can be a bit, oh. Yeah. Biggest letdown of, I'm going to go mad if I watch this film, kind of. <laughs> uh, God, you put me on the spot now. Cannibal Ferox? No, because I... I, I Zombie Flesh Eaters. Yeah. Clockwork Orange. No, I really like that. I like all the cannibal ones they sort of did... The they merge into a big stew of zombie flesh eaters, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I, uh. All right, before the end of the show, I want a definitive okay, answer I'll, from I'll you. Think, from I'll ass. think of something whilst we're uh, <laughs> doing other things. Okay, also from Rich Sampson, G is for Goonies. I'm probably opening myself up to a world of hurt here. But back when I was a nipper, there were a few kids' films that went into darker territory than anything Pixar or Disney could entertain. Hostel, sorry. What, Pixar's Hostel? No, no, I just thought of it. It's Hostel. That was the that one was that the had a big build-up. I read, I read a Daily Mail review of it. What were you reading Daily Mail for? Because be Christopher Tucky, probably. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a two-page spread, and it just sounded like the most depraved film I'd ever come across. And, yeah, I was bored to tears. Yeah. So that's my biggest letdown. Even though it wasn't banned, but, you know. No, but, you know, when Christopher Tucky doesn't like something. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to Rich Sampson with his... 
Sorry, Rich. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Goonies was a great example of this, i.e. darker children films, with Sloth, who genuinely looked quite hideous, and numerous mouldy corpses. It, it was like a gateway drug into more hardcore horror. P.S. I'd also stick the Burbs into this category. Really underrated movie. Yeah, I, I really like the Burbs. I remember. Is that Bruce Dern? Yes. Yeah, I've not seen it for a while. It's Joe Dante. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm. It was one of those. That's good. Even Hanks is. Uh, it was Hanks before he went serious, <laughs> before he got AIDS. Before he did Gump. Yeah, Gump and <laughs> Gump Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I nearly called it the Psychic I nearly called it Philadelphia Story as well. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks, Rich. And uh, we've got F from Mark Bloomfield. Almost in conjunction with Forbidden, Fulci. I haven't seen his earlier stuff, aside from Lizard and a Woman's Skin, which is a nice jowler. But the trilogy of the City of the Living Dead, the Beyond, and the House by the Cemetery are all worth a look, and pretty unlike anything else out there. And he was presumably the first person to include a zombie fighting a shark in a film. Yeah, well, the first after all, was imitators. Yeah, hundred you know. percent there. All the way. Gates of Hell trilogy, I really like. The House by the Cemetery, I've grown to love. It's become one of my favourite horror films. Um, his Giallis, uh, or Gialli, sorry, are brilliant amongst the best I've seen so yeah long live Fulci well he's dead but you know long live the dead Fulci he's rotting corpse (laughs) from beyond Um, oh sorry and he also says Fright Fest I'm not sure anything else needs to be said but I don't think you could have an A to Z of film through midnight video without it no good call timely F from Richard Street F is for Franco uh, is it Jess or Hazel's More quantity than quality, but there are a few oddly interesting movies in his enormous back catalogue. I need to check a few out. I think I possibly have seen one at some point, but I can't think which one. It's a bit like Paul Nashie, they're all retitled and... uh, Dracula. He did Dracula, didn't he? What, the Dracula? (laughs) He did did another another Dracula. I'd love him to do a film called A Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) One of the Dracula. (laughs) Okay. Phil McGee, he's coming with another F. I'd just like to add to the... <laughs> Through the door now. <laughs> I'd just like to add to the forbidden post. Um, he totally agrees. Depending who was serving at my local video shop as a kid, depending on what I could rent out. If it was the teenager, we were screwed. I remember hanging onto the box of the first Nightmare on Elm Street for hours, waiting for the shift to change to the old woman who didn't give a fuck what we rented. At the time, if you had the box, then you had the video, as they only had the one copy. If there were a classic video shop, maybe two. I'd love it if, amongst all those horror films, I can't know what you did last summer and things. There was one called The Old Woman Who Didn't Give a Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. There was always those kind of people who worked in the shops who, were, you know, you could yeah. get one over on them. Absolutely. H from Marie Hepworth again. Have to go with Herzog also, since he's my favourite director. He's been making films since before I was born and is still going strong and strange as ever. Also mentions for Hitchcock and Haneke. It seems H is a popular letter amongst my favourite directors. Um, yeah, I'm just going through a Hitchcock box set at the moment. Nice. Vertigo was a bit dull. I like Vertigo. Yeah, good it's music. There's no rear window, but it's... it's what is? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's in the box as well. I wanted to see Vertigo first. Okay, get it out of the way. Um, well, no, no, because it does... When we covered it on the soundtracks, yeah. I, I remember saying, oh, it's not my favourite, because I've seen it once before, but it, it, I suppose this goes back to one of the earlier uh, posts we had. It has such a reputation as being his best film, mm. you know, as if people are quite sniffy about Psycho because it has too much reputation for being controversial. But, um, yeah, I wanted to get that first. Although it's kind of a... Yeah, I don't want to go about it too much. The, the box set might be one people are familiar with, but it has an awful lot of 
it's an odd selection. Mm. It seems like half of them are good, and then it has all of that dross he did at the end of his <laughs> career. Uh, what did I watch recently? Is it Dial M for Murder? Yeah, I know that, oh that was on TV recently, but I've not seen that. Uh, that's not in the box set. Yeah, yeah. Um, really, really, really enjoyed that. I think my biggest letdown is with Hitchcock has been Spellbound. Is it Spellbound? Spellbound's the Gregory Peck in a yeah, Asylum with the, with the Dali, Dali dream sequence. Um, yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I wasn't really taken with it. But I, I, I don't like Gregory Peck. He's not going to be in P for Peck. The Peckster. Yeah. Isn't he the Everyman? Yeah, that's exactly what he is. Um, what was it? My f- my friend Colin the other day was saying he'd watched uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. I remember I was saying this to you down the pub the other day. Yeah. But he said it seemed like a demo for Halloween. <laughs> you know, towards the end, it uh, it seemed to have an awful lot of the same things going on in it. Boo, Radley. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I'm going to nip back to G for Phil here. So G for Gore. Oh, I've to take them on in the G. wrong order. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we, we can get over this. I had to stick to the classic Day of the Dead. It's just relentless and that is a really good story. The overall feel of the movie oozes depression as would fit the situation the characters are in, bouncing off of each other in a wee box under the ground. But every what a septic tank. <laughs> a wee box. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but every kill was a masterclass in classy gore, choke on them obviously being a favourite. I'm not so keen on splatter stuff, but this was the high point for me on hardcore gore mainstream. I think that was the last film when it came out that was probably the last time I watched a film and just thought I have no idea how that was done it just seemed like I don't know what watching it now is like but at the time you just you couldn't because this was before digital effects Mm. there were scenes particularly like a head on its side a severed head that you just thought how was that done (laughs) and apparently it was just a real head but they had really tilted the guys they really strapped his head down at an uncomfortable angle that yeah, that's my favourite one as well. But yeah, that's yeah, uh, definitely my favourite of the three. <clears throat> I must well, I, I won't say it now, but someone's going to mention a film that's coming up yeah. quite soon, which I think does gore like okay. no other. <laughs> uh, just on that subject, I did watch Eraserhead the other day for various reasons, and that, given that's how low budget that is, the baby in that really did turn my stomach, especially yeah. the finale with it. <laughs> and yet, how how that was done, I'm not. Because it obviously is a model, but it's too good. Yeah. The, the reflex on the swallow and the, the <laughs> eyes, and up, there's so much going on with its head. Its nostrils are flaring, and the eyes are moving. You think, given how cheap the rest of this film is, I'm not sure how this was done. Okay, on H, Rich Sampson again. Hello, H. Head explosions. Rather than blather on about this, I'll just include three of my highlights in cranial eruption. The proposition, the ex- the exploding aborigine head, actually had me out of my seat and applauding. I'm not sure if anyone else was in the cinema at the time. <laughs> um, the Fly, maybe two, I can't remember. I think it is The Fly 2, Rich. There's is. a cracking bit where someone gets squashed underneath an elevator. Cracking. Yes. And Scanners. Can't talk about head explosions without mentioning this film. Concentrate, 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 and kablamo! <laughs> yeah, head trauma is always a winner, isn't it? Well... I do remember uh, Scanners was on TV and uh, my friend Cam said his parents just turned over to it from some other... I think it may have been when party conference time was on and they, <laughs> they had the sound off and just assumed this was Newsnight or something. <laughs> and yeah, there. Kablamo. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, H, from Mark Bloomfield. Having read his gems on Goddard and Ferrari yesterday, uh, this is... I should um, just mention that I think it was on. There's another blog called Isle of Cinema. Oh yeah, and they did um, directors' beefs with other directors, and 
uh, Goddard and Ferrara got a bit of a hit by Herzog. So that's what it, this is in reference to. I feel Herzog deserves a mention here. Aguirre blew me the way the first time I saw it, and it seems to be as a uh, maverick now as ever. And he had Nick Cage in his bad lieutenant film. Surely a bonus point to the midnight video stakes. Yes, massive bonus point there. H is also for Hitchcock, of course. Not sure there's anything to say about him that hasn't already been said. And H is also for horror, without which I wouldn't have been to Fright Fest, found the Mondo Movie Podcast from there, and subsequently ended up here. Wow, the cycle of life. <laughs> yeah, it's the building's room. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like Ezoog. Um, I, from Callum McColl. Hi, Callum. I is for, if I can pronounce this, Alanteria, brackets inside, the French pregnancy baby-stealing horror, which contains one of the most gruelling gore sequences I've ever seen. And in response to that, Richard Samson wrote, Damn, inside would have been mine. I looked for I equals irreversible. Not quite sure it's that great a film. Some of it is a bit talky for my taste, but bugger me. Appropriate <laughs> <laughs> Great choice of words there. Yes. If it doesn't have two of the for most eight minutes. <laughs> memorable scenes in any film I've seen for a long time. I watched it without prior any knowledge of the rape or the fire extinguisher and both knocked me for six. <laughs> Those are two separate scenes, by the way. <laughs> One little aside, I watched the DVD extras about how they did the FX for the film and once you know about the little CGI Willie in the rape scene, you can't help but notice it every time. Brackets, not that I watch this once a week or anything, that would be a bit weird. Yeah, if anyone's not heard of Irreversible for some reason, that must really have whetted your appetite. <laughs> uh, but that's, yeah, that's the film that... Um, links to the gore one because that has one of the most astonishing sequences yet yeah, with a fire extinguisher and again I watched the um, the extras where they were talking you through how they did it with the CGI and then with a dummy and all different ways trying to get it just right a dummy full of guts <laughs> and um, yeah there's just a brilliant bit where they've not really um, translated it very well and the guy's showing a certain piece and he goes oh, oh uh, c'est joli it's like it's pretty it's not that pretty but it's it's I know we've talked about it together haven't we it, it's it's something else that yeah I mean that was really stomach churning but also it had that the, the music was at such a weird pitch and yeah um, everything added and to and the it. spinning uh, the spinning camera <laughs> um, and finally I think or have you got one more after this no that's yep. finally I from Mark Bloomfield Inside was pretty impressive. I'm struggling to think of eyes aside from that and Itchy the Killer. I haven't plucked up the courage to watch Irreversible yet. You've got to do it now. Come on. <laughs> okay, so thanks guys for all the feedback. That was an unusually long feedback section because, yeah, we've not done a regular show for about a month now. Mm. Um, but also to clear the decks because we've got a little announcement now. We have indeed. Yeah, which probably... Well, possibly won't make too much difference to a lot of you, uh, but yeah, um, for the last nearly six months we've been getting these shows out once a week, uh, I think with one exception. But yeah, it's time to take our foot off the gas a little bit. So we're going to do one every two years now, and uh, <laughs> well, a bit faster there. Maybe should we try one every two weeks? Okay, we'll start with one every two weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, we're just going to slow down a little bit. But um, there'll well, be a I blank week, and then we'll be back again. So, yeah, I think but I'm thinking a lot of people have got backlog of us anyway exactly yeah. yeah you won't notice although yeah uh an apology and uh, many thanks to you those of you who sort of listen to us as soon as we're posted up because uh, it is it's really nice to get feedback sort of immediately and and know that what you're doing is uh, being listened to and just that whole community thing going on but yeah we, we need for various reasons a little more uh 
time to get on with our lives. Yeah, it's just surprising how much time it takes. Up, to it's be bloody honest, right. Yeah. Not, not, not that it's hard work, but we don't no, want it to become enjoy- hard work. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's I mean, the, we're still as enthusiastic just, as ever about doing this. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got a list as long as my arms, and you guys keep providing us with uh, many suggestions, which is what it's all about you know yeah absolutely so uh yeah um you'll probably be listening to this like five months after we make the announcement so uh, <laughs> it won't make any odds to you yeah so this this is the last weekly one uh, 20 it's good you know it's a good round yeah, number got some to, uh, stuff going on I've, i'm starting to forget what we've covered in fact what was that taiwanese thing with the watermelons oh, wayward cloud ah, you got me. <laughs> and if i make a wrong decision my friend all our kids could end up snorting vodka and eating borscht with chopsticks. The James Bond movies and TV series The Avengers may have pushed the Cold War in some odd directions, but they'd be going some to come up with a plot as bizarre as 1973's Who? in which no-nonsense Elliot Gould has a big problem when the US scientist he picks up from a Checkpoint Charlie-style exchange looks nothing like he used to, or indeed like anyone human at all. For having sustained heavy injuries in a motor accident, Dr. Lucas Martino returns to the West with no distinguishing marks beyond a metal head he certainly didn't used to have. Is this Martino, a Soviet agent, or someone else entirely? And does even the robot-faced mystery man know the true answer? So I'd like to just start off with a big, big, big thank you to uh, Mick, who I don't, I don't know your surname, sorry, but I do converse with you on Twitter now and again, and you've got very good taste in films. So good, in fact, that you recorded this off uh, ITV4, yeah, yeah uh, a, a number of years ago. Um, it was in response to when we covered Silent Partner, and I think I mentioned that this was a film I'd seen and was curious to see again, mm. um, but isn't available as far as I can tell. There's a Spanish version which is about 20 quid and I don't know if I'm trying to think about who money. is in Spanish. Yeah, it's just called Who. Because oh, right, um, yeah, it does have various other titles. It was um, redone as Robo the Man? Robo Man. <laughs> Possibly in connection with Robocop. Just after Robocop and, came out. Uh, was it Man with a Steel Face or yep, Man with a Steel yep. Head or something. Um, but yeah, I was, I was that was fantastic to get this through the post. Um, so very pleased um, um, to, to get to see it again. Cheers, uh, Nick. Yeah, thanks. How did you find it, Phil? I really, really loved it. Really? <laughs> I was. It could have gone either way. That yeah, introduction. I was amazed by it first because of the audacity of having this guy in probably the funniest makeup that I've ever seen. It was very Tin Man esque. Yeah, we'll talk about it in a sec. Yeah. But, uh, um, but to have this central figure who we never I, see, we is is we never really know. we never get to know. Yeah, we've probably jumped ahead a bit, but yeah, I mean, we describe what the gist is here. Elliot Gould's an FBI man. When they get this scientist back, he's had a motor accident, and they've done such the, the Soviet Union guys have done such a uh, job on him. He <laughs> appears with this. Yeah, well, the fact that it was reissued as Robo Man and all these kind of things. Um, yeah, we should just talk about the the makeup, I guess. It's, um, it's if you're smacking. yeah, if you're a fan of Marvel comics, he looks a little bit like Ant Man, the the helmet that Hank Pym wears as Ant Man. But sprayed silver. But yeah, it, it's mostly a sort of I'm I'm demonstrating <laughs> with my hands. It mostly covers his head, but the eyes and the mouth are open, aren't they? Mm. Um, and his skin's just been sprayed silver. Yeah. And I think that is um, quite a letdown. It's 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 not the greatest of makeup. I can I can imagine there were all sorts of decisions that had to be made about: do we make him completely masked, or do we want a performance from a not 
quite the lead actor, but pretty much, mm. isn't he? Yeah. Um, conveying some sort of humanity and emotion because you can see his eyes throughout yes. it all, and yeah, I obviously has to deliver dialogue. But that's yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you because um, I just thought that was a stumbling block, and it says um, you were saying, given how. Yeah, because the how, uh, I was literally howling with laughter the first time. He I looks saw like it. a little tin like cat, doesn't yeah. he? Because he's got these <laughs> yeah, strange got steel cheeks, uh, yeah, or that almost little like bit round the mouth, Garfield-esque yes. or something. Um, yeah, but it goes from that sort of me laughing game, and as the film progresses, I just started to feel so much empathy for him. It was After very that operation you had. Yes. <laughs> I, I got really swept up in the whole story because yeah there's just like intrigue like no one knows I mean you as the viewer aren't really you're being, you don't know, you're getting yeah. these flashbacks which kind of confirm it one minute and then they like dash and it then, the next minute and then just build that mystery throughout because yeah um, although those flashbacks sort of tail off towards the hour mark which it sort of dipped down a bit mm. for me then. Yeah. I mean, they are carrying on right till the last couple of minutes, mm. which is something I don't remember from when I first watched it. I remember that finale, which we won't really discuss, no. being its own coda, whereas yeah. even during that last conversation, yeah, they're playing a game with you, the filmmakers. Elliot Gould, who's my kind of one of my new favourite actors, I think, <laughs> after... Again, as with Silent Partner, not playing a likeable character by any stretch, is he? Except in this is an FBI man, so he's meant to be quite no-nonsense. Mm. And as soon as this Checkpoint Charlie thing happens at the beginning and people start just... I think Martino says, oh, it's great to be back in the West or something. And uh, some of the other... Uh, FBI guys are chatting with him and, and Elliot Gould's like, Martino's just saying what's expected of him, I'm sure he's very tired and you don't need to know anything else And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, I think this is quite a brave thing to do isn't it, because Gould at this point had done MASH I think, he's probably, his star was on the rise mm. uh, and yet to cast him as someone so unlikable he's I'm not sure if this is a relevant thing to say but you could also imagine Harrison Ford playing him nowadays right, and this yeah. blankness of him and yeah definitely it, He's a star name, but he's not actually bringing any kind of performance to it or personality. He's just he's doing what's necessary for the role. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I guess if as as a viewer of this, you're meant to be identifying with Martino if it is Martino, because yeah, as you say, f we have flashbacks throughout this to the motor accident, and then I think it's meant to be six months, isn't it, where uh, Martino is being uh, reconstructed by Soviet scientists and Trevor Howard is in it as this um, sort of spy master, military head, Russian. Well, he's got a foreign accent, though it's not necessarily Russian, is it? I thought he was channeling the major from Faulty Towers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he has that very red-nosed, ruffled sort of... Well, he was blah, notoriously blah, 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 blah. a bit of a drinker, <laughs> but he, uh, Howard and Gould, I can imagine them signing up for the script and thinking they were getting... I'm not even sure if John le Carre was on the scene at this point, but some... Mm. Yeah, he would have been, so he came from the cold and stuff. You can imagine them thinking, yes, we've got a real Cold War thriller going. And then seeing this man with the tin cat makeup <laughs> and thinking, especially Howard, who was notoriously drunk all the time, <laughs> sort of wondering what he'd let himself in for. Um, but yeah, it, uh, that's a curious thing, because the other Jack Gold movie we've seen recently was The Medusa Touch, which again told most of its story in flashback because the lead was in the hospital bed yeah. with his head caved in. <laughs> Just a coincidence, I'm sure, but... <laughs> It does make um, it does make for unusual sort of storytelling, doesn't it? Yeah, I really Piecing like together it. A yeah, I, I like it because it's um, well, not so much because of the ambiguity, 
ambiguity. <laughs> ambiguity. <laughs> ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, not so much because of the ambiguity, but it's just an interesting way of telling. It's it's very um, uh, literary. 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 Lit fuck you know. <laughs> <laughs> you should have had that extra beer. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, you, you you deserved it. You, yeah. You've had a tough time getting here today. I like I like the way that um, you can bring that to the screen sometimes, which is kind of lost nowadays. It is because it's going to confuse people, and I've got to say, watching this, it isn't immediately obvious because you get you go from that checkpoint Charlie exchange at the beginning to Trevor Howard, who we've not been introduced to, and a figure with his head bandaged in um, in a bed. You can you can figure it out quite quickly, and especially when this keeps happening, what's going on. But it's not like they don't use uh, harp music and uh, wobbly effect or anything. It just it's a cut. No, it's it, a cut. It could be something's yeah. happening concurrently. That's what I really liked yeah. about was that that it asks it, it gives you it, it imbues the viewer with some intelligence, which is yeah a big difference from most um, contemporary cinema. Absolutely. And um, also something about those scenes, those flashbacks, which. They're very clever in the way that they build up to a sort of not a crescendo, but mm. where you you think you've really got it, and yeah. then bang, it, it, it mm. takes another left turn. Um, and yeah, I guess you you get to know Martino. Yeah, I mean, we not to spoil it, you're definitely seeing Martino at the beginning, but that doesn't that not to say that that's Martino who's come over the border because it's all about every time you think Elliot Gould's found some way to sort of. Or Martino's found a way to prove that it's him. Gould knows that this information could have been gone from somewhere else. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a kind of procedural feel to it. Yeah, I, I think there is an episode of the Magoon series, The Prisoner, that's a bit similar to that when they was. There's nothing he can say that can prove mm. it's really him. But um, yeah, it was. It did seem to strangely tie in with those things like the Avengers and the Prisoner and that whole. It's weird how the Cold War then took on this science fiction kind of element to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I've got to say, I'm probably not as enthusiastic about this as you are. No. Possibly because I have really good memories of it as a kid of being this <laughs> bizarre kind of movie. Um, so yeah, I, w I came back to it with a lot of expectation. The premise of this is absolutely fantastic for all the reasons you've described, but I don't think it's that well made. And I think part of that is that the the central question, is it Martino or isn't it? does get answered I think about two thirds of the way through but it's answered by the film mm. it's not confirmed by the script and so like I say right up until the last scene there's still these flashbacks happening suggesting that it could still be either of them mm. but I think there's a point um, I'm not sure whether to mention well I, I will uh, it's when Martino or is it meets uh, an ex-girlfriend of his. Yes. I think at that point you can kind of tell from things the films are doing whether it genuinely is him or not. Right. And I think it seems a bit redundant to then have all this other stuff going on. Uh, I wouldn't have minded if the film had done something else then. Okay. Um, and another big criticism I have of it, which I think I may have read... S oh no, I think it may have been in... I think Time Out or Leonard Moulton has this uh, listed in there. They do mention how awful the car chase sequence is. I've written down. Terrible <laughs> speeded up car chase. Well, uh, my problem with it wasn't so much the execution of the car chase. It was the cheesy music really made it seem like a 70s cop show. And it took it out of this, yeah, <laughs> is it him, is it not? And then it seemed like halfway, because it is at about 50 minutes into mm. this... 90 minute film they decide to have this action sequence which is done with da -da 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 kind of music <laughs> um, 
which just seems like it was thrown in there to sort of jolt people out of their seats. And that's and exactly the point when it shouldn't have done that. It should have become a much more internal film. Yeah. You know, I think it should really have got to the heart of, you know, um, maybe Martino questioning his own identity, mm. whoever, whoever it is. Am I him? Am I not? I don't know. I've had my head rebuilt out of tin. But I actually, for me, like first time viewing of it, I, I felt that pretty much throughout. I felt that we were me as the viewer was more in his headspace than mm. we were with either the Russians or the Americans. Yeah, he's a pawn. His own confusion. Whoever he is is a pawn. Yeah. Even if he's a... Oh, definitely. A yeah. ringer, yeah. yeah. Not Ringo. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're, we are in his headspace kind of literally for a lot of the film because a lot of flashbacks are done from a point of view thing. We never get to see... I have not written his name now. Is it Joseph Bover, I think, was the actor playing? Yes. Yeah. We never get to see him as Martina. We get point of view shots of him as a child mm -hmm. um, uh, and as a young man and, you know, as a boyfriend. Um, and you can understand why that's done, but... Yeah, it gets quite tiresome quite quickly. I think it kind of it it really illustrates the limits of the film. I think when, once yeah. you've decided, you've, once you've made that decision, you have to stick with it. I think it does limit it somewhat. I suppose I it didn't feel that way to me because those sequences were often very short. Anyway, there were um, I suppose there were like exposition yeah. points, um, and yeah, it di it didn't overly worry overly worry me. I did want to actually say not to just jump off that but um, there you go ahead. there's a very much a Philip K. Dick feel I had throughout um, obviously there's the whole paranoia situation around them the Cold War had that up anyway but everything had this sort of slight undercurrent of I don't humour is not the right word but there's something well, black humour yeah well yeah very very dark mm. um almost um, imperceptible sometimes yeah. Um, but yeah just this protagonist even his name um, no, he's a bit like I thought a bit like Martian what, no, what's his uh, first name Lucas Le Lucas Martino sounds very like dick sort of oh, right. dick like I think yeah I mean it's it's probably one of the more straighter names I suppose knows, who knows how much of him was replaced with metal <laughs> yeah but you know that sort of this like you said before porn but someone who's obviously at the behest of someone else, but he doesn't know why, and he's mm -hmm. confused about his situation. And yeah, which is why I I'm not going to reveal the ending, but I really love that finale, and that was something that st stuck with me twenty odd years after watching it, thinking that's such a great resolution to it. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of disappointing watching it again that it still had these flashbacks and oh, is it him? Is it mm. not? Is it him? Is it not? Um, Elliot Gould, how was he for you? Because I've said I've. I thought he was a little flat, but listening to what you were saying just before, um, it does make sense. He is just fulfilling that role, that character. He can't be anything else. I don't think he could yeah. be any more emotional, and he alludes to that Which in is, the film as yeah. well. I mean, I was going to say I'm not sure how great a job Jack Gold did of directing this, because he is someone who's not that well regarded, although he does have a really interesting, I'm going to use the pretentious phrase, body of work behind it. This, the Medusa touch which should be laughable but there's something really good about it and mm. it's not just Burton but also a movie, uh, who knows if someone can send this in to us because <laughs> I, I don't think this is commercially available there was a movie did again in the early 70s called The National Health which is, sounds very much I have seen it but it's kind of similar to The Singing Detective, it's got this contemporary National Health Hospital ward 
but it goes into these kind of fantasy sequences with all of those characters in some kind of very over the top um, medical soap opera <laughs> but it has people like Jim Dale from the Carry On movies wow. and Colin Bake, uh, Blakey um, and I think Lynn Redgrave mm. and uh, Colin, Clive Swift who oh, uh, I think right, people yeah. know from um, Keeping Up Appearances but I remember that having loads of quite dark humour in it and um, I mean uh, yeah I'll be curious to see that again it's another sort of br very reminiscent of Lindsay Anderson kind of thing yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway sorry the point I was going to make was having been having got hold of Elliot Gould who as I said must have been a big star at this point and then make that decision of no I'm going to make the guy with the, the metal face the story is about him we need to concentrate on him and Gould is merely a heavy he's before he's fulfilling that role his role is actually to bring his name to this and give it some kudos and yet it's it well it's an unknown film now yeah. ironically and even on wikipedia it, there's no entry on it there's that list of elliot gould and jack gold films and uh that that's in um the cursed red writing so uh, such a shame maybe we should probably uh, hey maybe i'll do an entry for it yeah i've yeah. never tried entering anything on wikipedia but uh and if anyone um, wants to watch it or is keen to watch it after listening to this just email me and I'll uh, I'll get it out we'll, there we'll find a copy for you <laughs> yes <laughs> well, no, absolutely. No, it's, you know, I think it should be watched yeah. even though the lead does look like a Mexican wrestler <laughs> <laughs> one more thing to uh, to mention about it, uh, it crop, Bruce Bower crops up doesn't he the famous yeah uh, Miller he plays the character Miller briefly, the government um, government guy. He, if you don't know the name Bruce Bowen, he's Faulty Towers in the Waldorf Salad, and is uh, is it the start of Empire Strikes Back? Yes, Death well. marks a difficult thing to live with. <laughs> yeah. So no, I mean I think it's quite flawed, but a brilliant, brilliant idea, and highly um, recommended from you. Highly recommend. I've, yeah, I'm, I don't want to go into silly superlatives, but yeah. uh, definitely one of the better films I've seen of the last. Uh, better than Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Marginally, yeah. Are you looking for the the tin <laughs> man inside you? <laughs> Are you looking for the six million ruble man inside you? <laughs> like it or not, Rogers, I still have rights. You have no rights anywhere. The United States Constitution was not made for metal men. Um, so I've been thinking independently of Jim, which I do sometimes. Curse you. <laughs> Maybe we know there's some people out there who listen to the show who live in London or around that we could all meet up for a, a drink in a chinwag at some point. One drink. One well, one drink. really big, massive one drink. Massive Bring a straw. Yes. <laughs> um, in a central London Sam Smith's pub because... Definitely Sam Smith's because it's not <laughs> cheap, cheap and cheerful. Reasonably priced beer. Absolutely. We're just putting it out there for the time being and getting people's interest yeah, peaked because it was great meeting some of you guys at Fright Fest um, although I, I can imagine a lot of you probably didn't want to spend huge amounts of cash to go and watch um, Night in the Woods <laughs> for instance um, but yeah no, it would be great if anyone's up for that um, so we're thinking of I've forgotten the date now, was it the 8th? Um, yeah, 20 October 22nd yeah. yeah, around then, we're just putting out there I mean, it'd be nice Thanks. to hear that if, you, if you're up for it then we can like, we'll definitely confirm it at the next yeah. one um, yeah. but I think it'd be fun just be nice for you guys to meet each other and I'd like to see some people again anyway yeah, no, definitely. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're mentioning that now, and we'll probably put some. We'll definitely put something on Facebook and the blog. So, uh, for sure. Yeah. Cool. And ju we're going to carry on. A few other things to. Have we? What else have we got? Oh, just a reminder that Midnight Video T-shirts. 
were well they're still available basically i mean if anyone visits the blog um or the website as it's called <laughs> uh, there's a big banner at the top of it which if you click on that it gives you a link to all the details of how to obtain one um yeah they've been proving quite popular which is cool especially because of you modeling them on yeah the, um, <laughs> apparently on the yeah you and your terminator look <laughs> with your shades have we, have we run short on small sizes surprisingly we've got one small left so any i'm pleased about this because we were we were wondering what si how many of each size to come up with and we we assumed that all of our readers uh, readers our listeners would be um bountiful <laughs> but we've got a lot of you know slight folk out there felt yeah. <laughs> so yeah, t-shirts still available, and we've got some more A to Z's to get through. Yeah. Although, please do keep your A to Z's coming in. Yeah, I'll I'll probably push this a lot more than we have done recently. Obviously, because of the <laughs> because of the other shows. Um, a great contributor and someone that we met at Fright Fest, uh, Giles Edwards, who has an absolutely amazing short film which I put up on our Facebook page um, along with Benito Robinsini who I know listens and Dave Averse all these people I met and mm -hmm. these are kind of Twitter names that I'm saying here but check out our Facebook page they've got really extraordinary short films Neon Killer you mean this because um, you're, you're, you're pointing your yeah, pen at the microphone my pen's going yeah, crazy you're, you're like you're at a UN conference they are superb after the ones that we watched at Fright Fest this year I mean these are old ones they, they've shown these at previous Fright Fest but they're they're just out there they're in another world yeah but better than the stuff we saw at Fright Fest this year a short, million short, times better uh, short film oh that we didn't watch all of the short films no, so not to say there was a good one on a par with some of the good trailers we saw though from yes. the 70s the yes. Swedish wife clock was it the Swedish wife swapping club or something remember that one <laughs> no I don't think I saw that one yes you did it was before the woman there was one called Linda that was an exorcist rip off oh uh, yeah oh yeah I the, don't, the Swedish, Swedish wife swap club I'm sure man the whole thing's just it's a month back now nearly isn't it it's I all forgot. just lost in the mist of time <laughs> but yes Giles Edwards Giles Edwards C is for Christmas in July light fluffy inconsequential perhaps but dick powell's indefatigable charm as a man who preemptively and mistakenly starts spending the winnings of a logo writing competition which he enters with the worst logo you've ever heard makes this understated preston sturgish gem d is for dark passage the best bogart has ever been a rollicking menacing tale of vengeance and retribution from delma davis with a terrific opening act told entirely from Bogart's first person point of view. This isn't the one when Bogart's in the clan. I don't know. There I've is there's it. apparently one when Humphrey Bogart's a member of the KKK. I'm gonna have to track it down. But Is uh, that your favourite? I've not D seen Giles. it, but that's um, <laughs> I'm asking Giles though. Well, there you go. Um, Maybe that's a bit of DW Griffiths as yes, well. Yes, we should explain, yeah. Uh, um what we've got here is um they're all from Giles Edwards and Rich Wells, so we're going to be reading them out sort of in, in tandem. So, and swapping. Rich Wells, designer of our fabulous t shirts. Ooh, and winner of uh, the Deviant Oh, yes. Uh, I, the, it's via Deviant Art, but it's a poster competition. Yes, he did a fantastic one for a 30s kind of mock gangster werewolf movie, uh, yeah. Winter's Howl. Which, and uh, I've done. Yes, congratulations, Rich. 
again I've done links via Facebook and maybe on Twitter but I think I might put that on the website because yeah sterling work absolutely so from Rich Wells E is for eyeball a window to the soul apparently but a sure bet for some squirmtastic screen violence from Unshanan Duelo to a zombie flesh eaters it's the one thing guaranteed to have me grimacing that and compound fractures you can file that under C <laughs> um, this week I watched Mask of Satan by Mario Bava or Black Sundays it's now mm. Barbara Steele I love the fact that the way to dispatch a witch in that is to hammer a nail through her eyeball I thought that was common knowledge oh come on <laughs> I, you know, I was away on that meeting <laughs> but uh, have you seen that yet I, I know you've got no. the Bava box sets yeah. but um well, I gave you one. Yeah, going back to sort of unexpected gore, given this was made about 1960, it's, it looks beautiful. It's like a Hammer or a um, Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe thing, that kind of Victoriana. But in black and white, it looks beautiful. But there's a, I can tell you about it because it will still, I think, make you jump when it happens. There's just a really unexpected gore scene when the witch version of Barbara Steele's body isn't quite complete. Mm. But yeah, it was, uh, I, I really quite enjoyed that. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting through the rest of them. In yeah. fact, that and the Hitchcock box set, I'm going to try and do them. Uh, I'm, I'm dovetailing my uh, fingers. Concurrently. So yeah, I'm going to yeah. try and uh, do the, the two masters together. Yeah, well, I'm hoping because we're doing moving the show fortnightly, it'll mean I'll be able to watch more films, other films, yeah. which means I might be able to write about them on my very neglected blog. Yeah, you've still not completed your, um, your, <laughs> the thing your, is your alphabet. So you've got to about U or no, V I'm, or something. I've got X, Y, Z to do. Yeah. And I've... Uh, X, I think I once I you got extra, to Vampire's Kiss, Les Yeux Sans Visage and Time Zombies eight. of Sugar Hill. Uh, you next? Yeah, E is for The Exorcist 3 for one of the top five greatest shock moments in all of horror. I can't agree enough. I watched only watched this for the first time the other day. Uh, well, I say the other day, a few weeks ago. Uh, Which? Uh, Legion, Peter Blatty. Yeah, directed. yeah, no, I've, I've seen it. I'm trying to think what the shock moment is. You can't say because <laughs> it is, is unbelievable. I'll just say nerves. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It's well, you say you can't say it. that used to be on the title sequence to Mariella Frostrup's video of you in about nineteen ninety. They were very pleased to get that shot in. And, uh, well, hopefully, yeah, no one's um, going to know. Wow, going back to her first show because I I saw Exorcist three after being um, a big fan of Ninth Configuration. This was the only other film Blatty directed, wasn't it? Yes. So I had high hopes for it, and it. Mm, Oh, really? Yeah, I, I maybe was I should give it another really look. blown away by it. It yeah. was fantastic. And I'm and Giles actually piqued my interest even further because the last half hour apparently is totally different from what Blatty wanted to do. They had to put an exorcism in there to please the studios. And yeah, the the original idea was totally different. You can read about it online yeah. and the I can't remember who the studio is, but they're denying any existence of it. Yeah, because that would have been out, I think, summer 1990, about the yep. same time as Dick Tracy and mm. Wild at Heart. So, what a year! What a what a summer of blockbusters. Uh, me next. Yeah, yep. F. This is from Rich Wells. F is for female prisoner scorpion, as in the super freaking cool Pinky film series. The first two in particular are Japanese exploitation par excellence, or gaudy color and fever dream storytelling. Amazing soundtracks too. Well, I'll be watching all three of those uh, next week at Cigarette Burns All Nighter. Yes, which we were hoping to do a special for, but uh, time, our old enemy. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't get that. We were going to review all three of the films that were going to be on there, but uh, we, we just haven't had the time, I'm afraid. Unfortunately, we've been supplying you with other 
Are the treats? Metal the treats. Man, Ezo, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, big finale. Well, I'm looking forward to that. It's part of the Scholar Forever season. Uh, now, F is for this from Giles. F is for Force of Evil. Caustic, dazzlingly dark, and oppressive noir from Abraham Polonsky and a never better John Garfield. Not familiar with that at all. No? No, I've not heard of it. But, um, well, Giles said we've picked up some films that he's never heard of, so he's uh, obviously got, got one back at us now. Yeah. Uh, okay, G is for Gross, if I that's pronounced correctly. Caroloy Gross, poster artist extraordinaire, back when hand-painted designs were the only option available. Responsible for some of my favourite posters, including all of those from the early Universal, Mo- Universal Monster Cycle. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, the list goes on. An underappreciated master of art. Um... I may be speaking out of turn. I think that probably goes back to Rich's entry in um, winning entry in that competition because that mm. was that's so striking when you look at all the entries in their photoshopped and his was this clearly hand drawn with a coat of sodium light uh, on their faces. It really looked um, really <laughs> quite eye catching. Um, and yeah, the Universal horror movies are something I've only just got round to starting to watch properly. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of gaps there. I only re- this week watched the Lugosi Dracula. Yeah. Which isn't that great. No. <laughs> Bump. But um. G is for the Great Silence, Sergio Cobucci's beautiful snowbound revenge western, one of the meanest and leanest of the seventies spaghettis. I've not seen that, but snowbound revenge western. Avalanche westerns. Cutthroats yeah. Nine. Yeah, Cutthroats Nine, which was on sale at Fright Fest, weirdly. Mm given we kind of stumbled across it randomly when we reviewed it but uh, yeah I think you've been keen to review another western uh, yeah I've got I've bought a number of very cheap box sets from the states with that have you know two discs and they've got mm-hmm. like six movies oh them. right um, and Kinski's been Kinski's dragging his spurs through <laughs> a few of those yeah so I'm looking forward to finding one finding one of those okie doke um, H is for Hill Jack Hill probably my favourite 70s exploitation director whether it's women in prison, black exploitation, comedy horror, or girl gang movies, I find his stuff consistently entertaining. Um, Jack Hill did Spider Baby, which is a bit notorious. I've yeah, not I've got never seen to watch it. it. I yeah. think it may all be up on YouTube. Oh, okay. When we go down to one show every two weeks, maybe then I'll drag up my sofa and <laughs> I'll watch that in its entirety. H is for high anxiety, glorious Hitchcock spoof that's funnier than Young Frankenstein. With a killer main title song. High anxiety. If I remember. Actually, that reminds me of something we missed from Who. Um, it was produced what? by Barry Levinson. Really? Yeah. I and, didn't know. And Barry that Levinson's in High Anxiety is the wow. is the bellhop, isn't yeah. he? He brings him his rolled up newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I yeah, had no idea. Did you not? No, yeah, no. I didn't clock um, onto that. Yeah, that's the happy thing. But, but wow, we've not mentioned Hitchcock or hardly in the entire run, and he's cropped up. He's made three cameo appearances already in this. Should have some uh, his theme on a little tuba playing. <laughs> if you can sort that out in the editing, that would we be fantastic. We have two little Westies ba- barking ba- 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 as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and finally, from Rich, I is for IMDb. It's a shame the message boards are notorious for their childish dreck, but as a simple reference tool, it's pretty indispensable. That said, I found it a pain in the ass trying to search for films by year for the 70 movie challenge. Needs a bit of a design overhaul, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, I do go to it, but I still, Wikipedia is 
generally the one I always go to. Um, Especially if we if this goes out after our uh, review of who goes up. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't, just ignore that. No. Um, yeah, IMDb can be a bit tricky. There's, there's certain times I've looked up actors or directors and I'm convinced they've just collated two people with the same name and not really bothered. Mm. You know. Yeah, th- there is some fascinating stuff to be found at like the trivia sections, mm. which often turn up some little gems. But yeah, no, it's 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 good. You know, I, I like the and it's really old. It was started like 1991 or something like that. I think Quite 92. possibly. I mean, I remember when we started the. Um, a to Z through Midnight Video, uh, A to Z of Movies through Midnight Video. I mentioned Cinemania, it was a CD mm. ROM which quickly got superseded by um, IMDb. But yeah, it's, um, you know, I suppose it's one of those things with because anyone can put anything they want on IMDb. I don't think it's centrally organised, is it? It's not. Like I think it's a, like Wikipedia, a, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's all just people aware. put their own information on. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely echo what Rich has got to say there. It's it's. It's it, yeah. Going back to cinema, it's so great when um, I'm I'm old enough to remember when there were films you'd hear of and could never find any information on. And <laughs> now you can at least get some inkling of stuff. Yeah, I is for I Madman, terrifically entertaining <laughs> DTV thriller from the director of The Gate and winner of Best Name of a Horror Director Ever, Tibor Takax about a rogue, undead author stroke mad scientist slicing and dicing friends of bookseller Jenny Wright to collect their body parts so he can reconstruct his disfigured face. Not heard of that one. I thought there was a Jekyll and Hyde one with Christopher Lee with a title. Not I Monster, maybe, that is. I Monster I've heard of. I've never heard I Mad one. IMDB? Reconstructing disfigured faces. Hey, come on. Visage. Or, um, or, or, or the equally acclaimed Horror Hospital with Michael Goff. Um, thanks to Rich and Giles. Thank you very much. In fact, Giles, I must admit, like Giles centers a complete A to Z yeah, because he's, he's tied up with um, Max and Ruby, his lovely twins who we got to have. A, well, I got to have a peek at. Did you not see them? No, I, I very, very briefly got to meet Giles. It was oh, another right. incident when I was hoping people would stick around and you know I, I didn't organise my That's because you were watching chatting. films. You should have been in the no, pub. No, I was, I was in the pub. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, I thought the they pub. were going to stick around. <laughs> da, 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 you know? But uh, yeah, lovely in the Flash Gordon and uh, Stephen King t-shirts. Yeah, okay. Superb. So yeah, keep them coming in, A to Z. We really appreciate it. And it's just so good to hear what you guys are into, what you like, and flummox us with Yeah, it. we pass them all on to the authorities. <laughs> to IMDB, yeah, and Amazon. You can make their choices. When Andrzej Zalewski got fed up with government interference in his films, he relocated from Poland to France, but an offer from his homeland to make a big-budget epic based on his great-uncle's Edwardian science fiction novels convinced him to return. The resulting film was only 80% completed before the authorities thought they'd detected some anti-state propaganda in the rushes, halted production and burnt all the expensive costumes and props. What's Left was finally released in 1988 as On the Silver Globe, 
telling a sprawling tale of Earth astronauts on an unnamed world, establishing their own rapidly growing bloodline with its own confused spiralling religion and an eventual war against the planet's indigenous inhabitants, the telepathic Zerns. So you've just folded up the piece of paper you read that introduction from. Uh, what was the director's name again? Zalowski. 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 Um, another of your choices. Yay. And I'm guessing the link to this is because he directed Possession. That's right. Which uh, is kind of notorious because it was on the video nasties list, but it's quite an artsy movie, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it stars uh, Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. Which obviously, you know, means genius. <laughs> uh, no, he's he's like good in it. Uh, he's he's good in it. And um, I've forgotten her Isabella name. Johnny. Yes, from Nosferatu. Uh, and it's more an examination of the breakup of a marriage. I think uh, Zalowski himself was going through a painful divorce. So presumably, you enjoyed that film enough that that led you to this. Or yeah, I mean, I've got I've got a number of his films that I have like left unwatched. And basically, it's our mate Steve mentioned to me well she yeah right. oh happy birthday steve by the way oh, you'll, yeah. you'll probably be hearing this a week late but uh happy birthday dude yes um steve who recently played one of the brothers from the lost boys at, at the uh, secret, secret cinema, cinema. Yeah, yes frog brothers yeah mm. with a girl though yeah with with, um, uh, with eddie campbell's Campbell. yeah Haley, yeah. yeah but that's by the by yeah anyway, he yeah. mentioned this he he it's very vague in my memory what he said but he said uh he mentioned the director's name Zalowski I said oh the guy who did Possession he was like yeah but you know he went through all this and I hunted it down found it and it's been sat on my shelf for a while and I wanted to cover some more sci-fi and I thought some crazy uh, Polish sci-fi is just what we needed yeah after Baron Munchausen <laughs> we seem to have done a fair bit of um, like Eastern European this. kind of I'm really yeah, uh, fascinated by the Eastern Bloc after stuff. covering who Let's let's you know redress the balance so the the <laughs> Soviets aren't always the bad guys. Except in this case when they burn the film before no they burn the film props before it's even finished. Um, so yeah, I hadn't heard of this. Um, it does have a good Wikipedia entry, which sounds very intriguing. And um, well, I've I watched this on Monday, and uh, to, to let listeners in on a little the background, you texted me. I think on Monday and said, "Have you watched on the Silver Globe yet?" I'm like, "No, no, no. I'll probably be watching it tonight because uh, it is all on YouTube in uh, with English subtitles." Oh right, okay. In I think s- ooh, sixteen parts, eighteen parts, or something. That makes sense because I've got the region about, on this. It's about two hours forty in total, isn't it? It's nearly three <coughs> hours. Yeah. Um, and I know whenever you've sent a text like that, you you you've been watching some incomprehensible foreign nonsense <laughs> and you're you know you're just you know trying to wind me up aren't you <laughs> basically yeah. uh, what do you think I thought of this um, I would have thought that you'd have been really bored by it ultimately uh, because of the length but I think there's there must be a number of bits that would have been quite intriguing it's probably the most frustrating film I, I can think of that I've ever seen. Um, I was curious to see a Polish or Soviet science fiction, like a contemporary science fiction film. Yeah. It was made in 1977, although it doesn't. It does look more like a film from 1988. Weirdly, mm. one of the things I'll say right off is the imagery in this really um, 
really reminded me of David Bowie's, I think it was David Mallet was the director, but David Bowie's um, video for Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Specifically, it's all set on a beach. What, seeming most of it, in the same way Doctor Who and Blake Seven was always filmed <laughs> in a quarry and Star Trek was always in some, uh, uh, some desert. Quarry yeah, yeah. Well. There's a bit yeah. of quarry, but it's mostly beach with lapping um, waves, but a wintry kind of beach, isn't it? Which has a great feel. It feels like the end of the world. It does always remind you of the end of Planet of the Apes, and um, I think the end of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well, when they kind of sweep upon the. It's raft. just a really well used metaphor, isn't it? It's like it is, the, but the end I, of something, the beginning of something. That else. it would suggest it was a cheap movie, and I guess in on on the grand scale it is. But for uh, I not to belittle it, for a Polish film, um, I'd imagine this must have really cost an astounding I amount. I think it was extra because they filmed a lot. Uh, a lot of it, a, a portion of it in Mongolia. Yeah. So if you think, because it does look completely barren. I'll, I'll come out and say this. Um, if even though I hate this kind of reviewing, where it's just it's this meets this. <laughs> if I wanted to sell this, and I do want to, I do want to get people curious about this film. Cause I think it's worth looking at. Um, famously, Jodorowsky was going to do Dune, <laughs> and didn't. This is this is Werner Herzog's Dune. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you think? Yeah. That's I would. Yeah. After watching Cobra Verde not long ago, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. that kind of messiah figure comes in, and definitely again the beach kind of end of the world thing. But you can imagine um, it, it. This is a this is a double um, edge thing. It, mm. It's Herzog in that it's got that really unique um, look to it and approach, but also it's what you can imagine Herzog would have done if someone gave him money and the novel Dune and said adapt this in that he'd probably pick out some things some themes that he quite enjoyed but would completely disregard the plot and the characters yeah. this has the worst regard for actually conveying information <laughs> to the audience I can I, I can really imagine it's, um, it's unparalleled it's absolutely baffling isn't the word I was uh, you were kind of right to some extent I started off watching this and some of the notes I've got is um, yeah, obvious things which I'm going to dismiss now but I'll read it anyway <laughs> which uh, well no in terms of this is this is my thought process watching it camera work very 80s pop promo but I think that whole um, parallel with the, the David Bowie video was really sums that up but that opening really seems to throw you into um it does that great thing with science fiction when that it doesn't have a setup. Famously, Dune's um, Lynch's Dune starts with Virginia Madsen reeling off a load of babble, mm. which you know works in a book, but doesn't work if you're staring at a screen with this. Uh, no matter how beautiful Floating she is, her going about <laughs> is the year however many thousand, right? ten thousand four hundred and something, and just babbling on. And this doesn't have any of that. It seems what's going on? These are some astronauts and some guys in skins, and I'm not quite. They're going off somewhere. And I love being thrown in the deep end with that, and you're left to kind of unravel it yourself. But then it never really bothers. But even before that, though, it's even because the the beginning is some guy who is like in Siberia or somewhere like that, riding a horse through the snow, delivering a, uh, the the message to wow. the people on Earth. This is interesting. It's possible the version on YouTube's different to the one on your disc. There. Ah, right. The opening of this for me, and it did have like a. Film Calder presents or whatever thing at the beginning. I maybe it did have a horse. The thing I remember was a guy in kind of like um, because uh, they have those uh, like flying suits with the with the lacing on the sides of them, and they're, they're going off into um, well, that's kind later. of a derelict 
a derelict building and talking to some guys in yes in yeah yeah no yeah. that's the same one yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that is the same right okay. but he's on a horse going th- because i think <coughs> yeah <laughs> it's already confusing but yeah, yeah the, i think that possibly does happen but i don't the 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 message yeah from from the, the silver globe which yeah, the silver globe uh, we'll, we'll, this is probably going to be a long review because it's quite a complicated movie um Sorry, you that's have to the understatement. <laughs> <true>, by the <laughs> way, um, an infuriating movie. So yeah, sorry. Um, the guy who wrote this, which is Jerzy Le, uh, you have to Zulavsky. Zulavsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was written around 1900, and it was a, a series of books called the Lunar Trilogy. So that's it was right. definitely set on the moon. Here, the the world is unnamed. I think the, he has updated it. There's nothing about this that. I mean that's a good thing. It doesn't go for the obvious Edwardian. Jules they would have known less look. in those days about the moon, so I yeah, think he would probably same take way, advantage yeah. of that. <clears throat> you know. um, but yeah, it basically starts with: is it four astronauts going off to the Silver Globe, this mm-hmm. unnamed world? And do they start their own lineage there and then? Yeah, because they don't interbreed with no, no, some the, local, right? No, no, no. It's between them. Yeah, and. The, but they seem to produce a lot of grows people very for, quickly. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's an effect of the planet or. It uh, is. I think that's the illusion. I mean, I uh, for me, this is very much like Stalker, Tarkovsky's Stalker, in many mm-hmm. ways. In that, um, it's a sci-fi film without many effects, or it, it's not what you consider science fiction. It's more in the sort of like. Um, well, it's taken. If, if you think what Philip K. Dick is really about, it's more about the human. Which side is looking at the world from a really peculiar angle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so you get these, you get this new race forming on on the silver globe for want of a better description. Yeah. It's never alluded to. Let's call it the planet yeah, on yeah. the planet, and well, who quickly generate their own kind of society, which is quite primitive, and a religion which is based around because the astronauts die off quite quickly, don't they? Mm-hmm. But except for one called Jersey, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if he's in the book. That's possibly something uh, the director's playing. But he becomes this ranting, I might be wrong, John the Baptist kind of figure who's off in the wilderness um, yeah, and spends I an awful lot of time Methuselah just... Methuselah kind yeah, of... Yeah, or Abraham. Yeah, because or, he's um, so old and... Yes, because he quickly generates this... Well, whilst we're watching it... Because I think they, they all call it, him um, father, don't they? But he's seen as a prophet or a godlike figure. But, um, you know, another infuriating thing with the film, you don't really get much dialogue between characters. You get people proclaiming things and as with the minstrel and Izu, it doesn't really add up to anything. I'm willing to accept the subtitling on this may not have been fantastic, but none of it really added up for it's, me. Uh, yeah, I, to me, the the dialogue is completely superfluous. For probably 80% of the time, it doesn't have any relation mm-hmm. really to like story, or it, it's a lot of... I don't want to say mumbo jumbo because obviously there's a there's a lot of effort probably gone into it. You know, I mean, this well, was a, a he put a lot of effort into this film he because spent he's two years back doing the script and stuff. Yeah, um, but like I was saying, you can imagine Herzog doing this and just ignoring the story and thinking, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I love the look of this and the theme of it, and I'm not gonna really, I don't need to bother with all this nonsense about a story <laughs> and characters. <laughs> it's true. That's, Except that's I love brilliant. Herzog, you know. Obviously, yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Damn it! I could imagine Kinski in this. He would have been absolutely fantastic. As um, the, uh, the Messiah, as I forget sh- what he's called. Either Jersey or is it Marek or Marek, Marek you know, the yeah. second generation guy who turns up? Because mm. yeah, I suppose this has a 
probably a, a completely unintentional parallel with Planet of the Apes. <laughs> if the first astronaut is this Methuselah character, um, but he's recording himself, isn't he? Yeah. Or is he? Because there's a great bit, which, uh, like I was saying, when it just throws you in the deep end, is is. I'm sure there was a subtitle piece of dialogue which says, I'll, I'll, I'll converge their minds as if he's actually taking memories out of people oh, rather okay. than just having a camcorder. It's th there's some kind of technology going on there right. where they can actually um, feed people's memories into each other. I didn't pick up on that. Person. But someone back on Earth picks this up. He comes to the planet and he's greeted by this generation that's been... Um, this is Marek. Yeah, this is this is Marek. That's his chat <laughs> show. Um, He's greeted as a prophet kind of figure, isn't he? Yeah, um, but again, there's that weird play with time where you're not really sure of what's the length of time that's developed, and you know what? Because the 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 indigenous people, not the indigenous, but no, the people the, who have been spawned by the, the original astronauts. Yes, the star. You don't know how many <coughs> generations on that has already been. No, or whether time does travel at a different rate on that world. Mm. But also something that's deeply unhelpful um, is the fact that only eighty percent of this movie was made. So the the gap between those bits. I mean, another note I've got down here, which now means nothing, is um, <laughs> where are we? Da, 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 da. Uh, we're told that one of the astronauts dies, Thomas. This is quite early on. Yeah. Couldn't they have shown this, or would it have been a bit too dramatic? And now I realise they f they didn't get round to filming that. They couldn't. No. Because seriously, when it opens with um, the director saying only five uh, four fifths of this film was made, I thought that was a conceit. I thought that was a little exactly. artistic thing from yeah. him. Yeah. Same here. Same As here. if well, we were never going to have the money to do this, or this is actually meant to be some record from the future, a bit like Michael Moorcock books have that kind yeah. of thing happen. And then towards the end, you realise actually yes, because it doesn't end, does it? You no, no. And these key chunks of it are missing, and you just get shots of what I imagine are contemporary Poland, usually with people walking around a shopping centre or going up and down an escalator. Well, there's parts as well that is um, really reminded me of um, water racket, water rackets, oh, the greenaway, and the greenaway yeah. stuff, like yeah. early documentary of just sort of like flash zooming in on um, certain. Mm. Uh, trees or the sunsets or whatever and you've got Zulowski actually narrating what the script was what and was yet there's, taking there's a hell of a lot of plot there isn't there loads and you're thinking yeah. whilst you're watching pensioners going down yeah. an escalator and saying that astronaut dies this one finds the message that then he goes back and he's got to stop them in a war against the Zahn who are these uh Indigenous creatures with the one eye in the centre of their foreheads that they speak through, and you think, and they look what? like crows. Yeah, is that what? Is it <laughs> what? For the last hour, I've just watched people shouting at the sky. <laughs> it's uh, amazingly frustrating, but visually does great stuff. And again, infuriating stuff. That whole thing with frame remove, you know, it looks like there's there's definitely a frame missing every so often. Yes. There's this kind of judder to yeah. it. Was there any point to that, or was it meant to be this camcorder effect or something? Was there a... I thought that was purposeful. I mm. thought that was uh, an artistic um So he's meant to be showing point. what the camcorder recording thing mm. is. I, I, I think. I think. But just as... I mean, just those... Those sequences where he's narrating and the camera... It's just filming contemporary Poland or stuff happened. Ultimately, those bits were my favourite bits. I, I've you, you could chill a out a while, bit to those, I, couldn't you? It's not so much. Yeah, you could chill out to them, but I like the fact that yeah, it's not a conceit. Mm. I, I I almost wish it was a conceit because yeah. it's something. It's so. It, 
well, it reminded me a bit of not that I've seen the whole film, but I remember Alphaville. The, the yeah, God the God they God had God. things like that where yeah. it was meant to be set in this futuristic world, but used contemporary Paris. Yeah. yeah, but I did. I, I thought that was really. Um, it was jarring at first, and it was yeah. You sort of believe that. Oh right, oh he's just setting it up in this way. It's one of those like he's playing on us, and yeah. then you come to realise no, especially at the end. Mm. This was such a weird experience for me because there was a point when I realised I've got to say if we weren't reviewing it for the show I would have given up after 20 minutes. <laughs> I thought I'd got the gist of yeah the design in this is good because we haven't really discussed this. Like I say it looks like the, the Bowie video but it's specifically a lot of the outfits start off looking like Blake 7 kind of extras with skins but then they've this is very elaborate it might be hackney to say kabuki but it's very theatrical black uh, operatic kind of yes you've got kabuki written down independently of me um, which looks great yeah they know. look and, and they just expand and there's like tattoos start appearing on people's faces and yeah there's a whole sort of you know that something's been built from that you know it, it's come from somewhere but you've plunged into it and you do feel a bit like an anthropologist who yeah. just appeared and you got it and you know I, um, I don't think this is a spoiler because it's such a striking image that you have to see it to really get it Towards the end, there's this fantastic piece where a bunch of people have been crucified on the beach. Well, I wouldn't say crucified. If you've well, seen Cannibal Holocaust, you'll then. know it. But <laughs> on such a impaled on the top of these thirty foot poles, easily thirty foot. They're massive. And this was filmed in the seventies. And they're real people. They're real people. On I mean, I don't think they've actually been uh, <laughs> jacked. But. Um, Beautiful shot because it starts at the be at the top of them, hovering above them, and they're uh, presumably they're on a cherry picker or something. I was going to say the crane shots in yeah. this are like they're really sp and it seems to be like this was a point they must have been filming that quite early on. Mm. They must have been getting the big money sequences out of the way because there's a there's about fifteen minutes of like crane shots. They're just extraordinary and they're very. Um, uh, vertigo opulent, inducing like, they, they, yeah they, they go, there's loads of extras there's mm -hmm. lots of people and it's like oh this is where all the money's gone kind of thing paying them off yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but because yeah it's extraordinary to watch and think this was all done for real and mm. to, it was uncomfortable to watch it not just because of <laughs> obviously they're parked on top of these wooden poles but they're so high up it's yeah. thinking man I really wouldn't want to even sit on a <laughs> uh, you know, a plush sofa on top of something <laughs> that that far off the beach. No, and also the 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 whole thing is like it's just it's, it's steeped in this blue filter. Yeah, which is very weird. It took me uh, ages to yeah, sort of get used to it. Visually, something that reminded me of. Have you seen the early Lynch films before Eraserhead? Like yeah. grandmother. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. like that kind of washed out color on it. Um, but yeah, that that whole time shift with chunks of well, it's a multi generational story, but also um, chunks of it were never filmed. It does move on to something quite peculiar towards the end, um, and like I say, a baffling plot. Who's this woman who's a bit David Bowie like with the fedora hat? Oh yeah, um, I was totally lost because yeah. this is the thing. Who's the guy who's driving around in the Batmobile? Being <laughs> You know the I thing. I wrote Batmobile down. Yeah, as it's well. <laughs> well, this always But suddenly, after being the same kind of thing for two hours, it goes off into this whole Bec other direction. Yeah, because I wrote and yeah, the weird laughing communion with a proggy guitar music and the homemade Batmobile. I don't. I've got proggy. I've got blues. It's eighties bluesy kind of thing. right. It's, okay, but it, it after the rest of it is to bring the Herzog thing. The rest of it's kind of like Popple Vu, isn't it? The, yes. the soundtrack. Then suddenly. <laughs> 
it, it just does something really weird towards the end, doesn't it? It does feel like you've moved on ten years. Yeah, uh, because... Although I'm not sure what it's doing. The, the thing that I struggled with is... I was led to believe that the the chap who's being chased by this Batmobile and stuff is on Earth in this command centre, which we've seen before. But right. then he ends up on the planet. Yeah. And it's like, how did he get there? There's no explanation of and that. And why is the woman trying to run him over? And why is the this sort of... It's not ZZ Top music. It? It's, <laughs> kind of, it's quite cheesy blues. But, it can't, he, but he it's kind of... He takes like this... He has this weird communion thing with like the locals of what I thought was... Maybe it is very... Bad, um, Battle of the Planet, Planet of the Apes, where yeah. actually it's always been oh, right. it's on circular. Earth, and it's yeah. just We're back to Izu. potentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I've no idea what's going on at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> what I would say, which is probably heresy, <laughs> watch it on YouTube in about sixteen. Well, no, actually, I would, I would recommend. Like I say, it's in sixteen chunks. I think on YouTube, two a day. No, um, go in, go in, and watch about. This isn't. A, this is off the top of my head. About thirteen, and just get a flavour of. It's not going to matter if you're reading the subtitles because we don't no. know what this is about anyway. But just get a feeling of what the look of this is, and uh, it's it's a pretty unique film. And um, now, what I was going to say, which is probably quite philistineish of me, if I had the time on my hands, this is it. The Lunar Trilogy, apparently, this the original book was widely read around Europe in the Edwardian age, except for England. It was never translated into English. I'd love it if someone got hold of the book um, and you know, was able to fathom out what the plot was. <laughs> Took this, because it looks beautiful, and re-subtitled it. You know the way people have done, mm. not mashups of Phantom Menace, but yes. they've done things like, they've edited it down. I think famous, is it meant to be Kevin Smith did it? took the Phantom Menace and re-edited it so it played oh, a lot right. better or someone did it and well, there's a lot of rumours that it was Kevin Smith is but that could, possible what, to make Phantom or? Menace better well no if, <laughs> well, the, the obvious, they just shortened scenes left things oh, out oh so they just said like so titles and titles. <laughs> oh come come <laughs> but no, they did stuff like yeah. for instance they turned kind of Jar Jar Binks dialogue back to front and then subtitled it so rather than him making sort of Gaffs, he's he's just mate, he's coming up with straight dialogue. <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> no, I I'd I'd love it mm. if someone re-edited this and just made as as fa you know took those images and applied them to a straight adaptation. Or of what the book. about even could take that even further and just Burn the do it? Just do your own subtitles or just no, absolutely. That's yeah. all. It, um, not even I mean, it because I'm, I, I reckon he's taken lots of liberties with the originals. There's no way someone uh, in that period of time, mm. I doubt, would have written something so incomprehensible. Um, I don't know. I've got to say, I'm not. Other than yeah, I've read a lot of Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, but I don't know any other authors of that um, science fiction no, authors of that era. No. So I'm not sure because I could imagine he, um, someone would have come up with a big religious allegory at that point. Sure. What we get here is so much like Dune, isn't it? With oh yeah, prophecy yeah, yeah. and messiahs and a war against. We've not really mentioned the Zern, have we? They look pretty good. Um, They're all right. The flashing yeah. light on the head's a bit of a letdown, but that's all right. I, and the, that's the other thing is because this this was filmed started in seventy seven, seventy five, seventy seven. I think mid seventies up until it was carried on in the eighty six. It's it's not too bad. Like um, the effects, 
for the uh, for the zone. Sorry, I don't yeah, know, I th- it's, um, they carry over quite well. Yeah, no, they work. And but I don't know if they were doing that in this. That's what I mean in yeah. the seventies, or if that was it came later. I imagine I, it would be in the seventies. Yeah, I didn't get the feeling that anything was added to this other than the contemporary Polish and stuff. The narrative. I think all of the actual stuff was filmed in uh, time. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Just one more thing I wanted to mention about it was this. Did you get this whole thing with the tribe having actors? Yes. Was this kind oh, of a yeah. shamanistic thing? Because the tribe have uh, the, the tribe seem to have um, uh, sort of strata and a caste system, but one of them is actors, and I'm not sure what role they're meant to play. I thought they were kind Do of. Do they like take on people's emotions or convey what they? It was a bit like a Greek chorus yeah. in some ways, because that, that there's a shamanistic side because they were trying to uh, they were playing roles. Yeah. Of people who are in the larger tribe, yeah. But also, there seemed to be there was something a bit oracular about it. You know, they were predicting what's going to mm-hmm. happen, or maybe they were just reins. Uh, they were interpreting what the um, what's he called Jersey yeah. had said previously. All right. Because by the time you meet the actors, is mm-hmm. when Marek's gone there. Yeah. So this might be <coughs> a thousand years in their um, evolution, yeah. opposed to like three or four. Or, or we, we're not really told <laughs> bloody well right <laughs> it's just I. something that you're left to try and figure out for yourself and yeah th- this is oh man i i recommend it in a way you, you have to see it to believe it yeah i would not believe it i'm not well I've, I've made it clear i think it's immensely frustrating but i would recommend taking a look at it at least and um, yeah i'd be i if i ever find myself unemployed for any great length of time i might actually uh undertake that uh, re-editing myself (laughs) yes I'm going to get you fired (laughs) thank you very much Okay, so that's it for show 20, uh, which is probably going to run a bit longer than normal. But hey, it's our last regular, well, it's our last weekly show. Last weekly show, yeah. Yeah, we'll be back before you know it. Those films needed to be discussed. Oh, yeah. So, uh, a few things to say before we go. Uh, We do still have a future film forecast if you're interested in learning what we're going to be reviewing before the show goes up. So you've got a chance to um, watch it yourself. If you want to know that, or if you want to get in touch with us any anyway, uh, please email us at midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk or, you know, just generally you can go onto our uh, Facebook profile and just put Midnight Video in and uh, we also have our own website which is midnight-video.com Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, which is always updated with uh, supplemental material. Yeah, there's loads of stuff on there. It's always worth going back to because yeah, I, I know most people just subscribe through iTunes and forget. You know, like, we, we do have stuff through the website. It's nice to get a sense of community going. Yeah. And you get to see Phil's uh, Nicolas Cage t-shirt. Woohoo! Which the ladies seem to like, didn't they? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and also just to say on the Facebook page, I don't know how well people know to use Facebook pages, but we do have discussion threads where you can add to the A to Z yep. uh, through or recommends. Video, or recommends or just anything I mean yeah, feel post free to post stuff, stuff yeah, yeah, just go several, crazy several people have already and uh, Richie Samson's Ronan the Barbarian <laughs> have you seen that? I've not no. that is brilliant 
<laughs> okay. Um, a quick mention as well. Thanks very much to Steve Hurst, who we met at uh, Fright Fest, who was uh, good enough to offer to interview us. Uh, we've 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 done the interview now, and that's uh, been posted up on the Filmwork site. Filmwork, which is one word, it's spelled like Craftwork with a with an E rather than an O. F I L M W E R K dot co dot uk. Filmworks. Filmworks. Where you can hear us. Uh, trying to sound clever Wait, you can read us <laughs> you can read us yes uh, but know. yeah thanks very much for that Steve that was, it was great to meet you and, and thanks for spreading us about cheers for the cigarettes uh, also follow us on Twitter uh, get involved with us there at Midnight Video I'm on there most of the time I don't think Jim's as taken with it as I am I'm always reading it I've just not actually contributed <laughs> I, I read your cheeky uh, comments about me yeah and shake my fist at the screen <laughs> And you can follow me as well. I'm at the Furious, T H E P H U R I O U S. Um, I'm on there more often than I am on at Midnight Videos. So. Ah. And just before we go, a few thanks to people who've left uh, very nice feedback on iTunes. Uh, so starting off with Smudge eight seven eight seven, and Andrew Porritt, Ben, who did. Uh, colon eight and a p Did a next to it <laughs> okay That's, uh, has he seen a doctor since <laughs> but he'll know what i mean thanks okay. ben. Yes. and glenn t chapman who we met at fright fest briefly for one day and i've been in chatting with him for quite a bit really nice guy he does reviews for um den of geek and chris and phil oh, present right. so if you want to follow him via twitter glenn T Chapman or at Glenn T Chapman um, yeah and well honestly keep the iTunes reviews coming because um, they do seem to be we garnering us more uh, yeah, listeners as fantastic. well fantastic no it's very uh, very rewarding to get those and uh, you know fantastic to hear from people so that's it for show 20 we're going to take a little break now yeah this will be out next week uh, which is I don't know the 23rd ish or something yeah 24th Yes. That'll be available for all your perusal. And we're going to close the mic now and try and think of the next six films we're going to cover. <laughs> Can't wait. So, yeah, um, hope you've enjoyed tonight, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks' time. Cheery bye. Okay, tatty bye. Standing in the lonely light of the silver moon Yeah.